Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. It's a pleasure and a blessing to be with each one of you here. For those of you who don't know, my name is Michael, and I've been around the area growing up. I've been born and raised in Loma Linda. And um, recently, Norman, he uh, asked me, he said, you know, would you think about coming to Avent Hope? And I jumped at the opportunity. I've always had a special, Avent Hope's always had a special place in my heart. And I have so much ideas and so many things that I want to accomplish here with, together with the Ecom committee this year, and we're so excited. But this morning, I want to talk to you, in a sense, from my heart. I'm going to be talking about a couple of different things. If you saw the sermon title, it's The Greatest Miracle Never Performed. And so we're going to go into that whole idea in a minute. One thing I like about Advent Hope is we're limited on time. The reason is because I'm not a very long speaker. Whenever someone says, you have an hour to speak, it kind of, I get a little nervous. Because usually I think, you know, every, anything I can say in an hour, I can say in 30 minutes. So this kind of fits perfectly here. I can speak for about 30 minutes and I can get through my points and then we can all go ahead and remember the reason why we're here and that's to worship God more than anything else. Not for, we're not here for a certain speaker, we're not here for the great song service, we're not here for anything else other than to give God the glory, amen? Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, I come before you as a sinner. Lord, you know that on my own I can do nothing, that my heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And so I pray and plead that you please take away my heart, take away this stony heart that I have, and perform open-heart surgery. Give me a heart of flesh, Lord. I pray that you do that to each person in this room as well. I pray that they realize that without Jesus, we are absolutely nothing. And so I pray that you please send your Holy Spirit. May I disappear and Jesus Christ appear. May the people who hear my voice understand that it's nothing that I can do, but it's only Christ. I pray these things in the most precious name of the universe. Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Amen. Webster's Dictionary defines a miracle. A miracle as an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. A lot of people, they hear the word miracle, and they look through the Bible, and they see Jesus or the apostles, Paul and Peter, performing miracles. But when we look at this definition we understand that it's an extraordinary event, an event that could not happen naturally. And it had to happen because of divine intervention in human affairs. That's what makes a miracle a miracle. I've had the privilege of experiencing several miracles in my lifetime. When I was seven years old, I think I was nine years old, we were in the Philippines, and there is a small missionary island there. The population there is probably a couple, couple thousand. But the interesting thing is it's a hundred percent Muslim population. In fact, the Muslims who are there are the more of extreme Muslims who have, who believe in the idea that if they kill a Christian, they are allowed to go to heaven on a chariot full of virgins. So there's been uh, lots of different things there. There's been snakes, there've been lizards. I've been to this island. Now the most interesting thing is when we were in the Philippines, we had this container. 
It was a 40-foot container, the type of containers you see when you go to a train stop and a train goes by and you see countless containers. We had a container full of supplies for these, this missionary island. Well, we got it shipped over there and we were in Manila, the capital, and the goal was to get it from Manila all the way to the southern area of the Philippines. How in the world are we supposed to get all that stuff over there? Now, being small at the time, I didn't realize the the magnitude of what was about to happen. But I remember my mother and my father and um, other missionaries who we took on that trip, they were going to see different delegates. They were saying, how can we get this over here? And they were praying and doing different things. Well, it turns out days happen, weeks happen, and months. And we still could not get these necessary supplies to the southernmost area of the Philippines. Well, after phone call, after phone call, after prayer, after prayer, God opened a way, and the way that he did it was so interesting. The vice president of the Philippines, so let's just think of Dick Cheney here, commanded Robert Gates, or you might more be familiar with the former secretary of defense, Donald Rumsfeld, a signed signature saying, give these missionaries a C-130 airplane. Now, for those of you who don't know how big a C-130 airplane is, it's about two times bigger than a 747 jumbo jet. It is yay big, it's yay high, it's really, it's a huge airplane. And we were given this airplane to store all our supplies. Now just the fuel from, from where we were to where we had to go was probably in excess of a couple hundred thousand US dollars. And we we're given that for free. Now the thing is this, now there's a band of like five of us missionaries, five or six, and there's a couple of kids. How are we going to get all the supplies from this container all the way to the airplane? It so happened that the Philippine government also sent about 40 Philippine soldiers to escort us and to carry this stuff for us. When you're in the service of God, God does amazing things in your life. Let's go now to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark is known as probably being the earliest of the Gospels written. Mark is also the one who is not a disciple. And the interesting thing about Mark is he was probably the youngest. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And when you're there, can you say amen? Mark chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible reads, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse. Here we have the disciples, a ragtag bunch of guys. No formal training. They don't know anything really about preaching. They're just following Jesus. And Jesus has just given them power. Power to preach. Power to clean out spirits. Power to perform miracles. Go and read to verse 12 and 13. And it says, And they went out... And preach that men should what? Repent. So here are these, these disciples. They didn't know very much at the time. They had very small trailing. They were following Jesus. And here we see that they were given a message. And that message was to what, everyone? Repent. If there's something that we need to understand, something about the first angel's message is we need to understand before anything else, we need to repent. We need to see ourselves as for being wicked. We need to see ourselves as being one who is in need of a Savior. 
And so here we see the first message that the disciples were called to preach was to repent. Going on, verse 13, And they cast out many what? Devils and anointed with oil. Many of them were sick and healed them. Yes or no, were the disciples performing miracles? Yes. The disciples were performing miracles. Now let's go on. Let's see another miracle. Mark chapter 6. We're staying in this chapter. We'll be looking at it intently this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Just skip a couple of verses. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages, but buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Notice what Jesus answered. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. You know what I love about Jesus? He's not only concerned about our spiritual necessities, but he is concerned about our physical necessities. Amen. We see that Jesus is a God who loves us. A one who wants, he's first worried about your spiritual life. But in addition to your spiritual life, Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So we see here, Jesus says, Give them ye to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He said unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And he sat down in ranks of hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed it and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat. There wasn't one hungry person there and were filled. And they took up the twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves were about how many? Five thousand men. This is not including the children or not including the women. So we see here in this chapter, first we have the disciples. The disciples were first given the gospel commission. They were to, to preach the repentant message. They were also given power to perform what, everyone? Miracles. We see that they are able to perform miracles. And here we see later on in Mark chapter 6, who performs a miracle? Jesus. Jesus performs a miracle. Now notice the third thing. Verse 45 now. It says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship, and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. And when he sent the people away, and when he had sent them away, he had departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. Now question. Before the disciples, they are in the ship. They are, shipper, they are fishermen, right? There was a storm before this. Does anyone remember that storm? It happened in Mark chapter 4. There was a storm, and Jesus was sleeping. And so we see here the first time that there's a storm, Jesus is physically in the boat and he rebukes the wind and the storm was calmed. This is the second storm that's about to happen. So here we see the disciples are by themselves. Verse 48, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. 
And about the fourth watch of the night, he came unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Verse 49, But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 51, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Notice verse 52. This is the key verse. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was what? Hardened. Here we have the disciples in Mark chapter 6. They were first given the power to preach. They were given miracles. They were given power to heal. Yet, and we see later on, their hearts were what, everyone? Hardened. Is it possible to be beside Jesus, to walk and talk with Jesus, to witness the miracles, to be a part of it? Just like they saw in the food and the bread, they were part of that miracle. They were the ones delivering the goods to the people. But in the end, when you've seen all this, when you've been around, when you've been around all this, is it still possible that you are not yet converted? Here's the idea. I'm going to read to you one of my favorite quotes. One of my favorite quotes from my favorite authors. It says, Conversion leads on to obedience. The conversion of the human soul is of no little consequence. It is the greatest miracle performed by divine power. You want to know what the greatest miracle is? The greatest miracle is not healing the dead, healing the maimed, the blind. The greatest miracle is when one fully surrenders their heart to the Lord, is when one gives everything they got to the Lord and lives a converted life. That is the greatest miracle. Going on in verse 52, as we saw that their hearts were hardened. 53, notice what happens next. And when they had passed over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him. Get this, the people who were on this island, they were not around Jesus. They were not around him all the time, but yet they knew him or knew of him or excited that he was coming. Verse 55, and they ran through and the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick. They were, they were heard where he was. So we have a ragtag bunch of disciples. They're always around Jesus. They see his miracles. They see what he's performing. And when they are in a crisis, they, forgot, they forget about the ultimate power of Jesus. They forget that they are his disciples. They forget that Jesus has given them special power. Then we go to this little town who is not around Jesus. They've just heard of him. And when Jesus comes, the people who are working, they probably called off. They got everyone they could, the sick, the maimed, the blind, and they put them in front of Jesus. Is it possible that we as Christians are around this Adventist lifestyle, around this Adventist hospital, around this Adventist church so much that we forget the power of Jesus? Is that a possibility? I want us to understand and think about this real hard. You see, I was born in Loma Linda Medical Center. I went to Loma Linda Academy. I lived the prototypical Loma Linda life. I knew how to talk like an Adventist, walk like an Adventist, dress like an Adventist. But the thing is, it means nothing on the outside what type of person you are, how you dress, what type of things you do. If you are not converted, it means nothing. 
And we can see here these disciples, they had hardened hearts. They were around the miracles. They saw everything on a daily basis. They were around Jesus. They probably hugged Jesus, talked to Jesus, touched Jesus. But the touch of Jesus meant nothing to them anymore. But notice to this group of people here, notice what the touch of Jesus meant to them. Verse 56, And whithersoever he entered into the villages, or the cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the streets, and besought him that they might touch, if, it, if it they were, but the border of his garments. And as many as touched him were made, what everyone? Whole. So here we have one side, this group of people, they never have the opportunity to be around Jesus. Jesus finally goes to their town. They drop everything for him. They're bringing the sick, the maimed, the blind, everything or everyone they know. They're bringing him to Jesus. They believe in his power so much that anyone who touched Jesus were what? Made whole. Then we have the disciples on the other hand. They're always around Jesus. They've been around him for a while. They've seen the miracles. They've, been, they've even been given power to perform some of the same miracles. Yet they don't have a conversion experience. How many of you here have had a conversion experience? How many of you truly know what it's like to walk with Jesus? To talk with Him? How many of you have had that experience where you've tried everything you possibly could and you've gone this way and that way and experimented with this and that and finally one day... God pierced you and touched you and you were convicted to give your life up and give it to Jesus. This is another quote I want, want to read. Unbelievers have inquired, why are not miracles wrought among those who claim to be God's people? Listen to this. Brethren, the greatest miracle that can be wrought is the conversion of the human heart. Did you hear that? Should have heard more amens than that. The greatest miracle that we can possibly see today is someone fully giving their heart to the Lord. Thank you. We need to be reconverted, losing sight of self and human ideas, and beholding Christ that we may be transformed into His likeness. When this is the greatest of all miracles wrought within our heart, we shall see the workings of other miracles. You know why we don't see other miracles today? You know why we don't see the, the blind being able to see? Or those who are sick of the palsy being able to walk? You know why we don't see any of those things? Because the human heart has not yet been converted. There are too many people walking around, acting like a Christian, walking like, talking like a Christian, and putting on the Christian banner on, but deep down inside, they're not a Christian. A good story to illustrate this is when I was in high school, I bought what I thought was the greatest car. It was a Honda Civic at the time. It was blue and, you know, had these special wheels on it. And I remember I thought this was the greatest car in the world and all sorts of things. It was new and, you know, you know when you get a car and it smells new and everything. Oh, I was so excited. But something happened. It turns out, and by the way, I did not steal this story from Doug Batchelor. I read Doug Batchelor's Seven Steps to Salvation, and he had the almost exact same experience I had. This happened to me. I was, I was uh, you know, I keep my car in the garage, and it turned out that a rat or a mice got into the air conditioning system. 
Now, at the time, I didn't, I didn't really know this, but I did notice that one time I turned on my, you know, AC or my, you know, heater. I can't remember which one. And I remember this putrid smell, but I'm always, I was always in a hurry to go a different place, and I turned it off. Oh, you know, I'll just leave that alone. And so I remember I would just, you know, every time someone would be in my car or anything, I just wouldn't let anyone touch my air conditioning system. Now, on the outside, it was a brand new car. It was shiny, had the latest, you know, had nice wheels on it, had a CD player and a moonroof and all the little things that a guy in high school would want. But at the same time, inside of its system was something ugly and sick. There's a deep, dark secret in there. And every time, like, I'd be a hot summer day, I'd roll down the windows or I'd just, I'd ignore it. I was just so busy. I had work. I had school. I had different things. I did not have time to deal with this problem. And then I remember one day, I had to work in Pasadena at, I think, 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning. I had to wake up real early, and it was a really cold winter day. And I remember I got in my car, and I was just freezing and freezing. I was freezing, and I forgot all about this air conditioning, and I turned the heater full blast, and right then, this blast of hair and, you know, whatever else thing just blasted in my face. I brought it to the mechanic and I asked them, can you please take this smell out? And I had to spend all this money. And did you know I spent all this money and they tried everything they could. And no matter what they tried, they still could not take that smell out of that car. You know what my problem was? I put it off. The moment I saw or heard or anything, I should have taken care of the problem. But I kept saying, I'm busy. It's such a small problem. I'll get it fixed later. The car works fine. It runs good. Everything works well. I'm just going to leave it alone. And because of that, I had to pay the consequence. I could no longer use the air conditioning system. Do you know what it's like here in Loma Linda on a hot August day when it's 110 degrees and you can't use your air conditioning system? And everyone's around you. Dude, you got a new car. Or do you know what it's like in the really cold winters when you're just freezing and you can't use the... the, heating system? That's what happened to me. And the problem, friends, is many of us in this Christian lifestyle who are Adventists, we are doing the same thing. We have been revealed a sin problem. Someone has either shown us or God has shown us something we need to give to Jesus and we're putting it off. We're just saying, you know what, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. I want to share a verse with you in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. When you're all there, say amen. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. And the Bible says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have what? Heard. Lest at any time we should let them what? When you are convicted of something, when someone has shown you something, when God has placed a burden in your heart, you don't put it off till tomorrow, friends. You take care of it today, now, this instant. This is a biblical principle. The moment you put it off and say, I'll deal with it tomorrow or next year, or you know what, that'll be my New Year's resolution. I'm going to do that the new year. It doesn't work like that. That conviction will slip. Going back to my car story, when I was, I remember still the day, I was sleeping. My mom rushed in, screamed, you'll never believe it, your car got stolen. 
Deep down inside, I was one of the happiest people. And no one knew about, oh really? Got stolen? I was thrilled when my car got stolen. Because then the insurance money came, I was able to get a brand new car and not have to deal with that smell. You know, friends, some of us need a new heart. You need your heart stolen, just like I got my car stolen. And it needs to be replaced with a new one. That's what needs to happen. Let's go to our next story. Mark chapter 6. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10. Or just there. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. A very famous story, but I think this story is fitting. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible reads, And when he was gone forth unto the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if someone is running... Usually you've got to ask yourself the question, why is he running? Reason number one why someone's running is they are excited to see someone. Reason number two, maybe they have a fear of something. So we don't know exactly what this man is running, but we see here that this man is running to see Jesus because Jesus has something that he wants. He comes running and he kneels to him and says, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good, but that is the Father, for that is God. Verse 19, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud another. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now just like this rich young ruler, I'm sure there are many people here who could relate to that story. Growing up, I knew about the commandments. I knew I shouldn't do this. I knew I shouldn't do that. Many of us who have grown up, we've probably heard up hearing the prophecies of Daniel Revelation. Maybe we've all sung all the hymns. We, maybe we can even cite all the hymns by memory. Maybe some of you here, maybe you've even gone to Mexico to build that little church or to help out in, in doing that weekend heal-a-thon where they heal people. Maybe you, some of you here, you, you do really well at Bible Pictionary or Bible Bowl. You know your Bible. But the thing is, just because you know your Bible, just because you've been through that life-size sanctuary, that does not mean you have a relationship with Jesus. If you know all the prophecies of Daniel Revelation, if you can break down the 2300 days, praise the Lord. But guess what? Those of you who've known Ivor Myers and have heard his testimony, I've had a privilege of talking to his brother Sean in detail, the reason why they got transformed or they got converted into Adventists is because there was a backslidden Adventist who would break down the mark of the beast, break down all the different prophecies while smoking weed. So just because you know those things by memory, just because you can do those things, does not mean you have a converted experience with Jesus. So just like this rich young ruler, I'm sure there are many here who can relate to that. Who've grown up in Adventist lifestyle. Who grew up vegetarians. Who grew up knowing the health message. But at the same time, just like this rich young ruler, we have a need. Notice what Jesus says to him. Well, first he says, Master, I've observed all these from my youth. 
Verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. I love that. Don't you love how that's in there? Before Jesus has to say this really hard thing in his life, he says, it says, Mark says, he loves him. I want you to understand something. Before you hear a rebuke, before you hear something that needs to be corrected, understand this. Jesus loves you more than anything else. There is nothing you can do to separate the love of God from you. Jesus will love you unconditionally no matter what. But also understand with love, there's also justice. With love, there's also obedience. Verse 22, or verse 21. It says, Jesus loved him and said unto him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. Could you imagine that? Jesus is giving him an invitation. This man who wants eternal life says, I have everything, all I need is eternal life. I've done this, I've done that. They've gone through the Adventist checklist. Check this off and that off and this off. And all he needs is eternal life. And he goes to Jesus, Jesus, I've done everything you can think of. I, can, I memorize the Torah. Jesus says, you lack one thing. Take everything you have, whatever it is, sell it and follow me. You know, Jesus doesn't ask that to all of us. Jesus might be asking you something else. For this man, the God in his life, the number one thing was riches. For some of you, it may be TV or media. Some of you, it may be those movies that are out there. Or those television shows. Or MTV or whatever it is. Some of you, it may be another vice. It may be the fashion of this world. It may be trying to look like the Hollywood stars, whatever it is. Jesus is asking each one of you something different. For someone else, it might be alcohol or cigarettes. Some of you, it may be just giving your time to Him. Whatever is number one in your life, Jesus wants that. Jesus wants your whole heart more than anything else. You know what the problem is? A lot of us growing up as Adventists, a lot of us growing up as Christians who have heard this our whole life, we've been so immersed with Jesus that we've for forgotten to be immersed in Jesus. That's our problem. Our problem is we know too much in our brain. Our problem is we've heard so much. When we were kids, we knew about all those stories in the dentist and the doctor's books that we would read. We knew about our mothers reading to us the children's stories. We knew we have the knowledge of it, but the thing is, our heart is still unconverted. And just this same thing, what happened to this rich man, it's going to happen to us. If we don't give what's number one in our life, if we don't give that up and give to Jesus, this is what's going to happen. Mark chapter 10, verse 22. And this young man, he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. All of us here, being blessed to be born in this country. We are blessed to have material things. We are blessed to have education. We are blessed to have freedoms that other places don't have. I went to the Philippines at South Philippine Adventist College, and here we see the students hungering and thirsting for steps to Christ. Here, if we gave out steps to Christ, how many of you would actually take one? Oh, it's all right. You know, 
Yeah, I don't. No thanks. But over there, steps to Christ, Christ's object lessons, desire of ages, great controversy. That was the number one hit. Amen. Over here, what is the number one hit? Is it the latest biography of a political star? Is it the latest magazine? Whatever it is, I want you to understand in your life, number one has to be Christ. Number one. So I get ready to close. I want us to understand something here. I understand it's not easy, especially being given what we've had, given the opportunities that God has given us, being blessed and being in this wonderful country. But at the same time, we need to come back to something that I like to call, or Ellen White likes to call, a primitive godliness. Something that's pure, something that's undefiled. We need a new life. I want to share a story of this young man who, who when we were there in the, in the Philippines, first of all, it turned out that uh, we had this, this mission trip, we were all set to go, and something at my work happened. Something horrible with accounting, and it was looking really bad for me to go. They're just, are you sure you need to go? The company really needs you at this time. And I was really toying, well, maybe I, can, well, I have a pretty good team. Maybe I can send the team to go. And I, maybe I don't have to go or anything else. And I was toying with that idea. Oh, it's okay, you know, Jesus will understand if this once I don't go because an emergency came up. Well, I knew that I had to go. God had given me a burden. And I went to this place. And this, this young man that I want to share a testimony of, he had been born in Avenus, been raised in Adventist. His grandfather preaches the Revelation of Hope series. His dad had preached a Revelation of Hope series. He was the nephew of the president of that school. He had been living his whole life around this whole idea. But it was only when we went and we showed him the truths of the Bible that you saw him fall in love with Jesus. You see him break down and you see him give everything. And I began to think to myself, you know, I'm not a very emotional person, but when he was getting baptized, getting rebaptized, after living 21 years in the, in the Adventist church, after go doing so many different things, and after we came, we saw the change in this young man. And when we saw that he was about to get baptized, I got a little emotional and began to think, what would have happened if I did not go on that trip? Maybe it would have been the greatest miracle would have not been performed. Some of you here, how many of you, the greatest miracle wants to be performed in your life, but it hasn't been performed yet? It hasn't been performed. As I read this again, why are not miracles wrought among those who claim to be God's people Brethren, the greatest miracle that can be wrought is the conversion of the human heart. Jesus wants to perform the most powerful miracle in your life. But some of you here are not allowing Him to perform it. And the thing is, Jesus will never force His will in your life. There's a story, one of my favorite stories that the great evangelist C.D. Brooke shared one time. This story was about these missionaries who were in Africa. 
And they would go to the different campsites and they would go to the different areas where they had game parks. And monkeys are fascinating creatures. They like to follow or to imitate what you do. And if you have something, they'll get something. If you eat something, they want to eat something. So everything that these missionaries would do, the monkeys would follow. The monkeys would be there and if they're going and, and making something, opening cans or doing something, the monkeys would be fiddling with things and imitating everything they were doing. Well, it was the evening time and to ward off um, mosquitoes and other things and to have dinner, they, the, the missionaries began to gather sticks. They began to gather sticks and to, to make a fire. And so the monkeys, they began to gather sticks and they saw what the missionaries were doing. They're putting brush on top and leaves. So then the monkeys would put brush and leaves on top. And after it was all said, we see the missionaries, they had something the monkeys didn't. You know what they had? They had a match. And so when the missionaries had everything, the wood, and they had, they had the brush, and they had everything they needed, the gas or the petroleum, they lit it in beautiful fire. And the monkeys, of course, they saw, man, that's cool. Let's go ahead and try to do that. But what were they missing? They were missing the light. Who is the light, everyone? Jesus, he's the light of this world. So many of us were like these monkeys here. We're imitating what it is to be a Christian. Oh, that's what it's like to dress like a Christian. Let me do that. Oh, we need to do this to be a Christian. I'm going to do that. But what are we missing? We're missing Jesus. As I invite my friend Michelle up, she's going to sing He Lives. I'm going to ask you to think about something. I'm going to ask you to pray and to think about things. I'm going to make a couple of appeals. I want you to, to realize that there is something that you need. You need something different this, this morning. We need a conversion experience. We need to have a change in our life. And the two things I'm going to ask you is number one, think about something that you're holding on to. A sin maybe that's cherished that no one knows about. And think of that in today. I want you to give that up. And my second appeal. Those who have never experienced Jesus, and they are preventing Jesus from, from happening, from putting the greatest miracle in their life. I want you to think if that's you. God sent His Son They called Him Jesus He came to
made a decision or you have something that you want to give to Jesus, I want you to stand. Maybe it's time. That's one thing that I need to give Jesus more. Maybe for you it is the media of this world or someone else. It's a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. You're in an ungodly courtship or an ungodly business relationship and you know that you need to give that up. I want you to think about those of you who are up here and those of you who you want to have a conversion experience. You want to be part of that greatest miracle. Raise your hand. Those of you here, you, you want to be part of that greatest miracle. You want to have a conversion experience. Praise the Lord. I'll pray for you. How sweet to hold a newborn baby. Let's all sing the chorus, because he lives. Let's all bow our heads as we pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we serve a risen Savior, a risen Savior who lives today, one who wants to live in our lives. Lord, I want to pray for each individual who has made the decision to stand, that they are going to stand for Jesus, that they are standing because they have been realized, they've realized that there is a certain sin they need to give up. They realize that this world is a struggle and that they need to give it to Jesus. Father, I know that with my time, time is something so valuable, something we can't take back, and that is something I need to give more to you. And Lord, maybe someone here is struggling with a more personal sin. I pray that you be in their lives and give them the victory. You do not command us to do something without giving us the strength to do it. And so, Lord, I want to pray for each individual here in whatever their struggle is. That you be with them and guide them and give them strength. And for those who raise their hand because they want a conversion experience today, or that they want to be reconverted to you, I pray that you please send your Holy Spirit... I pray that He's the one to teach them all things and bring them all things to remembrance. And that instead of us having just an experience where we know what it's like to be a Christian, we will have an experience because we are a Christian. I ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ who was died and was crucified for our sakes. Amen.